Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. We're in the last installment of the series today because we're going to move on and start talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus as we approach the Easter season. And so the title of today's message is The End of the End. Because it's the end of the end. And um, it's even interesting to me that the last chapter of the book of Revelation really is, a, it just kind of sums everything up, not just of the book of Revelation, but it sums up everything scripture has been leading towards and leaning towards. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, it is far more complicated, it's far more complex, developing a, a wise or a, or a sound eschatology, an understanding of end times. It takes a lot more than three or four weeks with half hour or one hour installments. It cannot be done that quickly. And um, we're going we're gonna to link a book on our media for you by a guy named uh, David, West, Dave, David Campbell, um, who is a modern theologian. He works with Theosu. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's spoken in uh, churches that we're in relationship with, and we likely will have him come and preach in our church at some time in the future here. Uh, but, but he has just a really great analysis on understanding the book of Revelation. And so if you're one of those people that's given to study and and really trying to understand and get your head around things, uh, it would be a book I'd be happy to recommend to you. Uh, but if you're an argumentative person who wants to read about the end times to further refine your arguments about why you think you're right, I, I just recommend that you stop what you're doing altogether and, and come back to your first love. Okay? And uh, I, I'm going to share this message with you today. And, and uh, Paul, I just, Paul and I had a really wonderful conversation this week. Paul, I just want you to know in no way am I substituting or, or uh, bringing our conversation or any part of it into this to somehow um, you know, manipulate or embarrass or anything like that. Uh, but, but the Lord really spoke to me as I was speaking to Paul, and I had to start sharing with Paul about the kind of person I used to be. I used to be one of the most argumentative human beings on the planet. My, there you go. My dad's sitting here saying amen. I would argue with anybody. I would argue with my siblings. I could argue with my parents. I would argue with Amy when we were young and teenagers and dating. And we still argue because she is a very strong-willed person who needs to be argued with. So in my defense, it's right to do so as her husband. I'm just kidding. We do argue. And I'm not saying that argue, arguing is the ultimate evil. But being quarrelsome is an evil. And the problem with argumentative people is we have a tendency to become quarrelsome people. And when you're a quarrelsome person, you're actually of no use to the body of Christ. Yeah, ouch. I know. That might be you. I'm sorry for slapping you in the face. Sam knows how that goes. We rasped a little bit. He did change the color of one of my eyes, but I changed the color of his face. And I just, you know, we were in love. We were wrestling and having fun. And, and he showed me his young man strength. I showed him my old man strength. And... Uh, this time, Sam tapped and I didn't. Next time, it might not go my way. I, I have to admit, I would be a little wary of jumping in the ring with Sam again because he is ridiculously strong. Uh, that's, that's right. And so next time, I'll have Carlisle and a few other guys uh, ready if I need them for help. But, uh, but, I, but as, I, as I was sharing with Paul, the Holy Spirit had just reminded me of the place I came from. And I just, I'm just not allowed to argue like I used to argue. The Lord doesn't let me do that. He's called me into something different. And I would go as far as to say as if you're kind of an argumentative person, the Lord is calling you out of that into something different as well. Because the kingdom of God is not built by knowledge that puffs up, but by love. And the Bible actually says knowledge puffs up. 
It, the, the Greek word for puffed up is fusio. It even sounds puffed up. Fusio, right? And, uh, and so knowledge puffs up, but then it says, but love builds. And Jesus is not about puffing up his kingdom. He's about building his kingdom. He's not about puffing up his church. He's about building his church. And what is going on around us in the end times today, which, by the way, the church has always been wondering if this is the end times for 2,000 years now. It has become distracted by quarreling, bickering, by dissatisfaction and these things turn into other things which ultimately turns into bitterness and all kinds of immorality and it's just not where we're called to be so I hope that in the last few weeks you have been encouraged once again genuinely to serve Jesus I hope that you can see the book of Revelation is not just some book about the end but it is a book of repentance and a call to holiness I hope you know that it's not alphabet soup after last week that you just excuse me, take a piece here and take a letter there and take this part of this chapter and apply it to what you think it should mean for you because it has to be interpreted in the whole context of Scripture. If you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to read the book of Daniel very specifically because so much of Revelation is throwing back to imagery from the book of Daniel and the book of Daniel absolutely was prophesying to the future events. But without that context, I fear you're going to end up wandering in a place that keeps you ineffective. And the enemy loves nothing more than to keep the followers of Jesus ineffective in their efforts. Jesus is actually looking in his church for people who are ready not to be sucked up to heaven, but to do the next thing that he asks them to do. Readiness is not about rapture. Readiness is about your obedience It's about your response to his call and his instruction in every single day of your life. Not huddled and hiding, but praising and preaching, encouraging and exhorting, and seeking and saving the lost. Because that's what Jesus came. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man did not come for saved people, but he came to seek and save those who were lost. And by extension, you and I, as his body, whereas he is the head of the church, we, his body, his bride, are tasked once again with the same thing, to do what the head tells us to do, which is what? To seek and save those who are lost, to preach the gospel in every nation. This is the call. It's not been my intent over this series to change or instill a specific eschatological point of view for you, except that you serve Jesus until the very moment he calls you home. That's it. Change your view to that. Because you know what? Here's the truth. I'm not so sure I believe in the rapture. I don't know exactly where I stand on the millennial standpoint. If I'm an all-millennialist or if I'm a pre-millennialist or a post-millennialist or an inaugurated millennialist. I mean, there's all kinds of theological frameworks you can put it in. But you know what? If Jesus comes back right this second, I'm ready to go and I'll be found doing what he asked me to do. And what matters more than that? And the same is true for you. It's not just for pastors. Right now, are you truly ready to meet Jesus? That's the question. And if you are, if your answer to that is, yes, I'm ready to meet Jesus, then the next question for you is, okay, are you ready to serve Jesus with everything you have? And if your answer to that is yes, then I want you to know you're both ready to be obedient and do his will and his work, and you are also ready to enter eternity and be perfected in the light of who he is. You can't go wrong when you're ready the right way. You just can't miss it. When when your forehead is sealed 
with the name of the Lamb. You don't need to worry about so many other things. So, I'd invite you to adopt that view. <laughs> the only people, you know, come to think of it, uh, the only people who have ever tried to argue with me about my stance on these things are people who are not in the Trinity. You know that? Like, theologically, I actually don't have a lot of argument. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have correction from the Holy Spirit theologically all the time. But the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit aren't sitting there trying to argue me into a different point of view. So who is? Well, a person's not in the Trinity. And I would just suggest to you, if you're, if you're a son of God, if you're a daughter of God, if you're bought with the blood of Jesus, may, maybe you should adopt no other view than that. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the people of trust and honor in your life guide you. Not whoever has the most popular podcast. Not whoever wrote the flashiest book or who has the best forwards written by the most famous people. Guys, the kingdom of heaven is much, much simpler than we make it sometimes. So, um, in, in these days that we're in, you'd be far better off to sharpen your theological understanding by focusing on the doctrines rather than the end times, but focusing on the doctors of God, man, and sin. That would be a good one. As well as Christ's righteousness along with his redemption and reconciliation of mankind. Those six topics will keep you busy for a lifetime, just so you know. But they are far more valuable than predictive doctrines. And you'll find it easier, by the way, to see God's will for your life if you are in doctrines that Jesus is asking you to walk in rather than the ones that are stored up for a future time that you can't possibly know about. So I want to share with you a story. I thought this is, I haven't done this for a very long time, but I wrote a parable for you this morning. So get your cowboy hats on, get some manure on your boots, and come with me on this little story, all right? Jim and Bob, Jim and Bob were two cowboys who landed themselves a job on a large ranch. They were good hands, that means cowboys. They could ride and rope and shoot about as well as anyone else in that outfit. They had a lot in common. First most was that they had been hired just out of prison to come to work for this ranch. It felt good for each of them to be free after knowing the confines of steel bars and doors and locks for so many years. Neither of them took for granted their newfound liberty, riding in the vastness of nature on warm summer days in the grandeur of the Creator. Jim and Bob worked pretty well together too. After some time, after some time, the long days and nights working with the same cattle, they began to share their knowledge about that cattle with each other. Because they had both worked with cattle for so many years, they were quite naturally experts in the matter. They had vast knowledge of what worked and what didn't work when it came to roping and branding and cutting, not using a knife, but selecting one animal out of the herd and separating it from the rest. Naturally, there was just a little bit of competition between the two men, as they began to develop the relationship. They were still a good team. They got their task accomplished in good time without stressing the cattle unnecessarily. They were particularly good at team roping. They could cut out a steer and rope and stretch him out and lay him on the ground in less time than it took Jim, the cook Jim, not the Jim we're already talking about, to pour a cup of coffee. Or Bob, the other Bob, not the Bob we're talking about. For some reason, Everybody on this ranch was named Jim or Bob. And the narrator did that so that no one by the name of Jim or Bob in any situation could possibly think that they were the Jim or Bob that were being talked about. 
I'll let you catch up. Jim and Bob were awfully fast at everything they did. They were very good at what they were called to do. As time went on through the summer, Jim and Bob got a little more intense in their discussions and a little more involved in their discussions as they worked the cattle. And then it came where each night they would sit around the fire. Neither of them noticed that the other cowboys in the outfit had started to go to bed earlier and earlier as they sat up late by the fire discussing their particularities of how they should handle cows. Neither of them noticed that it was only the two of them ever after a short while. And even other campfires had begun to show up around the camp that they were never invited to. They didn't notice that most days it was only the two of them riding in a particular direction without the rest of the outfit. They just kept working cows and discussing their methods of which breeds of cattle were best for which parts of whatever and whenever and wherever they were philosophizing on any particular day. The more often Jim and Bob were off on their own, conversations seemed to become more and more intense. And the more intense the conversations became, the more often they would have those conversations. They no longer realized that the other cowboys, once again, all named Jim or Bob, were never even willing to sit down at the fire or at the table with them for meals. They didn't even want to ride with Jim and Bob anymore. One particular night, Jim and Bob really got into a discussion on what breed of cattle had influenced the, the genetics of the herd best. Bob argued that the lines of smaller framed cattle made calving easier, while Jim insisted that the larger breeds needed to stay in the herd to ensure better financial results for the ranch at the end of the season. They got more and more heated in the discussion until that there was no denying that they were, in fact, fighting. Coffee and wet tobacco spewed from their lips as they fired back and forth. They began to personalize their attacks on each other. At first, they were veiled in sarcasm, but soon enough, they were just plain, outright, mean-spirited words filled with contempt so that the last insult was, undone, was outdone by the newest one. It all came to a head one night when Jim forcefully threw the contents of his coffee cup into the fire. The black liquid spattered and steamed off the hot rocks. In surprise, Bob flinched and recoiled, inadvertently kicking the coffee pot set on the rock ring surrounding the fire. With a loud clanging, the metal can crashed over and into the fire. A cloud of steam rolled up and a blast of heat from, uh, from steam only further heated the intensity in the air as the two began now yelling at each other. From tents around the camp, other cowboys were waking up, scrambling out of their bedrolls, sure that a bear had come into camp. Jim and Bob and Jim's and Bob's were everywhere. Some grabbing rifles, other reaching for flashlights to check the herd. But in the middle of all this chaos, Jim and Bob, the original Jim and Bob, stayed completely engaged with one another, totally locked in their battle. The cattle all of which had been quietly bedded for the night, were now up and pacing anxiously. Calves began bawling, and cows returned the call, each looking for their own little one. One high-headed red cow, and just so you know, it's always the red cows, <laughs> searching for her calf, slammed hard into the side of the cook's wagon, upsetting it completely. Jim or Bob, I can't remember now which name the cook actually had, but it was one of those, had to jump out of the now rolling over wagon so that he wasn't squashed in his own bedroll. In a single moment, the whole outfit went from bad to worse. The cattle now milling about, completely rattled, began to move toward the firelight and the voices of the cowboys. And as more cows knocked over more tents and more gear, the yelling and noise elevated, which in turn riled up the cows even more. 
Cattle actually flow like water once you get a group of them moving in a certain direction. And that's exactly what happened to the Jims and the Bobs. The cows began to flow through the camp. And in the dark, with all the commotion, the cows moved from a fast walk to a full run, full speed, unstoppable through the camp and out into the darkness. The rancher arrived at daybreak. The scene of the events the night before were easy for him to read. He could see his men spread out, some bringing up cattle, some on the ground doctoring the injured, and a few of the men met his gaze, helpless as they did what they could to right the camp and the rancher's herd. Jim and Bob were working too, but still blaming each other for the events that took place. Until they realized that the rancher was standing right there beside them. They both fell silent, not daring to look up, because in that moment, they remembered the only opinion and words that mattered were about to come from the mouth of the one who had hired them on. So what kind of a Jim or Bob are you? Because we're all Jims or Bobs. And we're all hired on by Jesus. So I don't know if that's biblical. Well, read your Bible. The Bible uses the analogy of livestock all the time. The Bible uses the analogy of hired hands often. So we're all hired on by Jesus when we join this family. We're all called to the same task. Feeding. Lambs, sheep. Cattle, calves. Adults and little ones. All called all appointed, all hired for the purpose of building a kingdom and feeding its people. Revelation, church, is not an invitation to argue anything. And it sickens me that so much time could be spent arguing over Scripture. Revelation is not an exercise in sharpening opinions or even doctrines. It is about things to come. Probably not in the way you're imagining it. But it's also about things in the present, some of which you're not even recognizing now. And it's also about things that have happened in the past, which sadly we still sometimes fail to recognize. It is most factually a call to come to Jesus, to return to Jesus if you've walked away. To repent and be changed by a most merciful God. It's a call to working towards the finish line. That is heaven. Eternity. It's a continued call to be set apart, to be holy, and ultimately perfected into the image of the Son. And that is why the book ends, not with predictions of future and time, but a call once again to readiness and holiness. You see, the end of the end is about our conformity to the nature of the Son, to Jesus. Our actions resulting from his instructions. Our response to his call. Our reciprocation of his initiation. This is the reality. And actually there's about five calls to holiness in that last chapter of Revelation 22. 
And if you want to turn your Bible, if you want to study something again this week, read Revelation 22. But Revelation 22, 6 to 9 says, And he says to me, said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants, that's all of us, the things which must soon took place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Keep the words of prophecy. Well, which ones? Well, all of them. All of them. Because Jesus is coming quickly. And we need to keep that in mind that it's not quickly as in pointing to a timeline, a literal timeline, but it's a word that is indicating a quickly as in a suddenness. Suddenly. You could actually take this out and wouldn't be wrong to say, behold, I am coming quickly, and it could actually read, behold, I am coming suddenly. With suddenness. We need to keep that in mind when we're tempted to figure out the timelines. The only timeline that matters is how quickly you respond in obedience to what Jesus is saying. How many of you as parents have ever realized that with your children? When you ask your children to do something and they say, I will, how many of us know that unintentionally that's a lie? I mean, they intend to, but they never do. And if intentions were what got people saved, Jesus would have come back a long time ago. But intentions don't get people saved. Action does. Heed the words of prophecy in this book. Keep in mind that, that because the book of Revelation depends on the rest of Scripture for context then the prophecies in the book of Revelation also need to be kept in context with all the prophecies of the whole Bible. And why stop there? Because your personal revelation of Jesus through his word is tailored to you, and it is a little bit different from my perception or my ability to understand because I'm uniquely made fearfully and wonderfully, and so are you for unique things that God prepared beforehand so you would walk in them. And because of all of those things, each one of us has a very real and personal realization to come to every time we read Scripture. Because we're all at different places in the journey God has called us on. And we're all walking actually at different speeds. Which is why it's so confusing when we begin to compare ourselves to others. Well, my doctor's not as good as his doctrine. There must be something wrong with my doctor. No. Why is it that we confuse the importance of timelines with things that matter and then things that don't? Suddenly we fail to realize the significance of timeline. I've been walking with Jesus for two months, and Pastor Trav seems to know a lot more than I do. Well, yeah, because I was, man, I was beaten into the church. And the church beaten, I mean lovingly. Guys, I slept more nights under hard wooden pews on vinyl tiled floors than most of you will ever experience in your life. It is true. I was raised in a different reality than so many people, and I'm so grateful for that. But you cannot self-assess and think you're going to accurately arrive anywhere if you try to compare yourself to me in terms of our walk with Jesus. Listen, if I am the one that he loves, then by that same reality, by the same truth of who Jesus is, then also you are the one that he loves. And you're just fine where you're at as long as you're willing to do the thing that Jesus asks you to do. 
It's a whole different story if you walk into church uh, having freshly fornicated the night before. I understand it's totally different, but you don't have to leave the same way that you came. You don't have to walk away from the Holy Spirit unrepentant, holding Him at arm's length, stiff-arming Him as it were, because you're so unwilling to bear His reproach and ultimately His mercy. Jesus is coming suddenly. And you know what else happens suddenly? Sometimes his instruction. And this is why readiness is not just a state of being for the end, but a state of being for the task today. The virgins who kept their wicks trimmed, the book of Matthew, were not just sitting around idle. Why, why, think about for a second, just think for a second, why did they need to make sure their lamps were full? Because they were burning oil from their lamps. And sometimes I think we're getting stuck all the time in churches. We're thinking, well, my lamp is full, it's ready to go. We have that prepper end of the world mentality, right? My go bag is ready. I've got my ammunition stored up, some of us guys. I'm a little bit of a prepper. Right? I've got, I've got 6,000 cans of soup in my basement. I don't really have that. I, do, I don't have that. I prefer to eat fresh, fresh, fresh animals. So um, I, I, I just don't feel the need to can everything is what I'm trying to say. See, guys, it's about your readiness, and it's about your response. It's actually not about how well prepared you think you are. Because there's only one preparer, there is only one qualifier, and it is Jesus. God is the one who qualifies those who he calls. And he's, he's the one who prepares those who are going to preach, or prophesy, or lay hands on the sick. He alone is the one responsible. You are responsible to be ready and to respond to what he says. And that does take holiness. Revelations 22, 8 to 10. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship. Listen to this. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am just a fellow servant of yours. The angel is a servant of John's. And the angel is a servant of your brethren, the prophets. The prophets and he's a servant of, read it with me, those who heed the words of this book. This is why it's weird when I people, hear people get into angel worship. They don't understand the role of angels. They are ministering spirits. They minister unto God. And you know else who angels minister unto? Human beings. Crazy, hey? See, most of you don't think you're worthy of that. You're not in and of yourselves. But because of Jesus, you absolutely are worthy. You absolutely are worthy to be ministered to by angels. What a profoundly powerful thing that is. But this isn't actually the point of this little part of the passage. Worship God, the angel says. And I, I blew that up a little bigger for you. I don't know if they have it blown up. but Worship God is the primary instruction in Revelation 22, 8 through 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Can I just expound on this a little bit for you? Note the message, heed the words. We are not called to worship the message. We are not called to worship the messenger. We are called to worship God. 
and Him alone. Sadly, many believers fall into the worship of knowledge and they fall into the worship of the messengers or the messages. They argued in the early church days, I am of Paul, well, I am of Apollos, and I am of Calvin, or I am of Luther. Be of Christ and none other. Be of Christ. You know, John Calvin and Luther, I believe, stand in heaven with Jesus. And every time someone claims, well, I'm a Lutheran, or I'm a Calvinist, or whatever other name people have called themselves by to establish their doctrine and their systematic way of thinking, I actually feel like if those brothers are in the presence of Jesus, every time that happens, they're like, oh, sorry, Lord. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you? You know, Tyson's in heaven one day with Jesus, and everybody down here is like, we are Tysonites. We are of Tyson, for he had the purest gospel. And Tyson would be like, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Uh, I would. I, that's not reproach I want to bear. Please don't, please, no, no matter how highly you might think of me, which I laugh about. <laughs> please don't ever call yourself anything but a follower of Christ. Don't call yourself by another name. I'm of Generations Church. Well, yeah, I hope you are, but you're of Christ. It is his lineage that purchased your eternal life. So don't get this wrong, please. Please don't get this wrong. I love that verse 10 says, do not seal up the words of prophecy of this book for the time is near. Why? Why does it say that? Because the time of prophecy has not yet ended. Now for the book of Revelation, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to expound and say, oh, we're going to add more to the book. That's, no, 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 no. Understand what prophecy actually is. Here's something the Bible says. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Chew on that for a while. When will the, when will the testimony of Jesus stop going forward? Never. <laughs> Heaven will be filled with the testimony of Jesus. Come on. Convince me that it won't. Heaven will be filled with the testimonies of Jesus. Forever and ever and ever. There will, there will always be someone at the throne saying, worthy is the Lamb. You say, well, I don't want to be there. You won't have to be there forever. There are billions of other souls saved by the blood of Jesus who are going to want to take their turn and lay their crowns down at the feet of Jesus and have their moment to say personally to Jesus, thank you. And if you, I, we don't even comprehend the number billion. A billion seconds ago was a long time ago. A trillion seconds ago, if I remember right, is like 20,000 years. We get these funny ideas about how it'll be. Guys, the lineup to fall at the feet of Jesus is going to be a long lineup. Yeah. But don't worry, you got lots of time. So practice today. There is still prophetic destiny to be uncovered and unlocked for the church. 
there is still the declaration of God's goodness that needs to go out into people's lives. There is actually room in this for the prediction of future things. There's room. There's room for prophecy. And it's vitally important that we prophesy. More important than speaking in tongues, right, young adults? We had a great time on Friday night. I don't know, we might have had one more guy get saved. I didn't get a chance to follow up, but we definitely had a whole pile of young adults get prayed with to receive the baptism, the, the full infilling of the Holy Spirit. What an exciting time we had. It was so good. Revelation 22, 1, 11 and 12. Let the one who does no wrong, or sorry, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. Understand this, please, that this is a call to continue to preach and do good. Well, what do you mean? It actually said that we're supposed to uh, just let people be. No. That's not what it says. Well, yeah, it, sa it, it says, it says, Pastor, it said, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. See, I'm just supposed to let him. And, and, and the one who is filthy, let him still be filthy. And, and then see, see, Pastor, I, and, and let the one who is righteous, that's me, still practice righteousness. What do you think it means to practice righteousness? To stop doing what Jesus said? No, right? Does anybody want to argue this one out with me? I don't argue, just remember that. You don't want to argue this one out because all of a sudden, if you look at it the way I'm telling you, hey, maybe have a look at it this way, it starts to make sense. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. In other words, the world is going to continue to be the world. People who don't know Jesus are still going to be people who know Jesus. But the righteous who live by faith, the Bible says, and the ones who are called to be holy still need to practice holiness. And those who are righteous and those who are holy have always been called to preach the good news about Jesus to a world that is lost and dying. This is not an invitation to sit back and let the world go to hell. It's an invitation to come back, renew your strength, refresh yourself in the presence of God because the field is still white and ready for harvest. So go into the harvest as a laborer. Pastor, I'd rather just let the world be unrighteous. I understand. And I pray that your understanding would change to line up with Jesus' heart and mind. We don't get to throw our hands up and just go with the times, church. We're still called to be the church. You have to live Jesus out loud in your life. There is a test. You will be graded on this assignment one day. And if you think that you can be righteous and sit on your hands, I'm afraid to tell you, you are, you are horribly mistaken. That means you got to wise up and you got to learn. you got to develop and stir up the gift of God that's within you. I'm not saying right now go get a soapbox and stand on the corner and become a fool and, and say things that you don't understand. But I'm telling you this morning, church, you gotta, you got to get yourself into the school of the Spirit. 
You got to open your Bible and you got to read it with fresh eyes. You got to open your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, I know that in my own wisdom, I am not able to compute and to calculate and to understand and to comprehend everything that's in here. So, Holy Spirit, would you help me to read this scripture? Lord, would you enlighten my eyes? Would you incline my ear to your voice, Lord, as I read this scripture right now? And you will find when you acknowledge him that he will straighten your path, as it says in the Old Testament, even when you're reading his word. But you can't do it without him. We're not called, we're not called to lower the standard of holiness. We are not called to say, well, there is, no, there is no gender standard. We're not called to say that the Scripture is untrue in any way, in any place, in any form. Rather, we are called to be the reconcilers between God and men that He has gifted us to be. And that means being a Greek to the Greek and being a Jew to the Jew. That means taking on the very form of a servant in order to minister to other people. But, but, but you said we're called to be kings and priests unto God. Yes, you are. And the greatest king and the greatest priest humbled himself to the form of a servant. So you should do likewise. Revelation 13 to 17. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root of the descent. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let one who hears say, come and let one who is thirsty come. Let one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. See, the message does not change. The people still need Jesus. And people still need Jesus preached everywhere we go. The world will continue to be the world, the outside, the place where there is brokenness and pain and hurting and wounding, and there are all the things that are ungodly. There are, there are those who practice lying and deception and immorality all around us outside. But in the church, we are called to be holy. We are called to wash our robes. We're called to confess our sins to one another, to confess our sins to God who is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is who we're called to be in the body of Christ, but we are absolutely still called to get one foot or two feet out into the world to share Jesus with the people. You cannot be a Christian If you're not responding to Jesus, verse 17 takes us to this place. In the meantime, in the meantime, wherever you go, wherever you take time, wherever you are, say to those who are outside, come. The Holy Spirit is saying to people who don't know Jesus, come. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. No one can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit first draws him. So the, the Spirit of God says come. And the body of Christ needs to stand to its feet and step into the world and say, hey world, come. All of you who are thirsty, all who are weak, 
come and drink from this water that Jesus wants to give you. You'll never be thirsty again. That is the message of the bride. Come and meet Jesus, who is the beginning and the ending of all things, the author and the finisher of our faith. Revelation 12, 18 to 21. I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Now this is to me the most ironic part of how people interpret Revelation. In these last few verses, we, we, we have all probably read, if we grew up in any kind of church, adding to and taking away from the book is a very bad thing to do. I, I was raised in the fear of that. Oh, you don't want to add to the Bible. Ooh. That's why the Mormons are in so much trouble, because they have another book, right? Yeah, that's how I was raised. And, and, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that it's, it's a good book or that it's right or it's right doctrine or anything like that. I'm, I'm just saying that was kind of the focal point. But in understanding the focal point to be the wrong thing, here's what's happened. I fear that people have added timelines and predictions erroneously. People have said, well, well this is how you got to interpret this. The grasshoppers are going to be like, they're going to be helicopters. And, 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 and the kingdom is this. And, the, and you see, what they've done erroneously is, and mistakenly, I don't believe there was ill intent in any Bible teacher ever, but they have added timelines and they have added predictions that aren't necessarily there. Even though some of those things may prove to be right in the end, I am just saying that adding the wrong thing will always subtract from the right thing. And the right thing is the call to be a holy bride of Christ. The call is to preach the gospel and proclaim to the whole world that all who are thirsty should come to Jesus for receiving the water of life. Any doctrine that takes you away from the Great Commission is not correct doctrine for as long as it takes you away from the Great Commission. We will be left without excuse, church. Did you do the thing I said? Could be a question Jesus very well asks me. Yeah, 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 I know. I know all that. But uh, did, you, did you do the thing I said? Church, that's the question right there. Are you just going to continue to expand your knowledge? Or are you going to, by love, expand the kingdom? Guys, we're all going to be a Jim or a Bob. We're all hired on. We're all brought from prison to work in the field that God has prepared for us. And what an adventure and what a joy and what a privilege, even though it's filled with trials and difficulties, what an amazing opportunity it is for us to work with Jesus on the greatest vision that has ever been thought of in all of creation. What's the vision? 
that God so loved this world, his creation, that he would do anything up to and including give his own son, his own flesh, his own blood so that we could be reconciled to him. But not stopping there so that that message could go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and all out to the ends of the earth. Church, you're called to preach. Yeah, 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 don't get ahead of me. I'm not a preacher. I know you're not a preacher, but preaching isn't what you think it is most of the time. Not hardly. You're called to prophesy. I don't want to prophesy. I don't even believe in that kind of stuff. Well, then you don't understand what it means to prophesy. Well, good grief, I don't want to encourage the brethren. Well, I don't know what's wrong with you then. You don't want to encourage the brethren. Are you going to be a Jim or Bob who stay on task, who stay on assignment? Or are you going to be a Jim or a Bob who is sidetracked by all of the options that are out there and then in the end miss the point entirely? Come on. Who are you going to be? Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. I know that this has been direct in some ways. I want to reassure you this morning. I really love you. This church is not a hard people to love. But I can't help it. I cannot help seeing the destiny and the potential of every person that stands in this room. I can't help it. I see you and I see other faces that God wants to bring into the kingdom. I can't help but look at you and see the gifts and see the weapons that you bring to the table. I can't help but look at some of you and say, wow, there's a priest. I can't help but look at the next one and say, man, there is a king who can bring finances into the kingdom. There is someone who can win souls. Man, there is someone who can teach the Bible. There is someone who knows how to feed sheep. There's somebody, there's somebody who knows how to clean toilets for the glory of God. I mean, whatever it is, wherever it is, whatever you think or don't think, just know how much God loves you today. Know how much the family of this church loves you today. But man, we want to see you press onward, press upward towards the greater, the higher calling that's in Jesus. So if you'll let me pray for you this morning, I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for the unspoken dreams and visions that are bound up in the hearts of people in this room right now. And Lord Jesus, I pray today that by your Holy Spirit, you would begin to unlock doors in people's hearts. God, specifically, that you would begin to unlock the, the doors of their imagination and doors of their understanding and their comprehension so that they can get a glimpse today, Jesus, of what it is that you're calling them to. Lord, I, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to call out the evangelists in this room this morning. God, I call you, I ask you, God, to call out the prophetic people in this room this morning. God, I ask you to call out the prayer warriors in the room this morning. God, I ask you to call out the worshipers and the leaders of worship this morning, Lord Jesus, not so that we can build your church, but, Lord, so that you can build your church so that we can see the harvest gathered, Lord, for your sake. The Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that for any of this to happen, we need you. So church, if you're willing now, 
just ask the Holy Spirit the question. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I just heard? Because I could tell you all kinds of things, but the most important question you're going to ask today is, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I just heard? So ask Him. Ask Him. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.